Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Tired Mummy Podcast, a safe platform where we can openly discuss the highs and lows of parenthood, judgment free. Join me in authentic conversations with mums and dads from across the globe. Let's help each other feel less alone, let's grow and feel better in our parenting skin together. Come join our tribe while we get into some real talk. And don't forget, bring your coffee. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Tired Mummy Podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. He is making waves in the birth world and I'm so grateful to have him on this show. Today I'm speaking with Nathan Riley, MD. Nathan is a board certified OBGYN and hospice and palliative care physician. He is also the host of the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Nathan, as he describes it, is a recovering conventional doctor. He was in school for most of his life, trained in two medical specialities, and then looked back and found himself completely disillusioned with the conventional maternity care model. Now, instead of serving the medical industrial complex, he serves women and their partners in achieving vitality. Nathan has done extensive study in holistic lifestyle medicine and his practice is based on the midwifery model. Today, Nathan and I get stuck into some truths. Some truths that may make you feel uncomfortable if your birth experience wasn't what you expected, if you were classed as high risk, or if you've never looked behind the other side of the veil in the birth world before. I love Nathan's work because he is so down to earth, honest, educated, and he's really here to serve women and their families. If you're not open to different views on birth or triggered by conversations around birth, 
please skip this episode and come back when you're ready and open to receive new information. Sending big love and compassion to each and every one of you. Thanks for joining me today. Now, let's welcome Dr. Nathan Riley. Hello, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. When I talk to people about you, whether it's mothers or midwives, I always describe you as the unicorn in the birth world. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to start this conversation by thanking you for all the work that you're doing, all the conversations that you're having and all the eyes that you're opening. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. My pleasure. It doesn't, it doesn't sometimes seems kind of lonely out here in the <laughs> I conscious can't birthing and yeah, conscious parenting world. But I think a lot of people really resonate with it. and having an open mind and being, you know, willing to admit sometimes we just don't have all the answers. Um, whether you're a, you know, super high level physician or you're a first time parent, there's really no guidebook. You know, it's not like there's a way to do it. And if you do it this way, we love that. We love a structured linear process, but it's not always that easy. And when people pretend it's that easy, that's where the conversation stops. Mm. And so I'm glad you're having these conversations too. I like what you're doing with your podcast. Oh, thank you. Now I always kick the show off with the same question because I love the variety of answers I get. So could you please let our listeners know what your biggest parenting learn is? Well, since I'm an OBGYN, this is something I've said time and time again, but the parenting thing starts like on your fertility journey. Like you have to wrap your head around, like this is not an accessory. This is not something that you must do because that makes you complete. This needs to be something you're truly called to. And then when you get pregnant and while you're getting ready for your big day, the birth, of course, the biggest piece of advice that I received when we were about to have our first baby, we have two now, was that, you know, the birthday is important. It is important to advocate in labor. It's important to avoid the interventions and to have that birth plan and everything. Like, I don't mean to diminish that, but that moment of birth is literally over in a second. Like, it's done. Baby's here. And I think too many couples focus so much on the the day of the birth that they forget that you're like partnership has to survive this process. And I don't mean merely survive like it doesn't die out and you get divorced. I mean, like you need to be thriving in your relationship with this person who's, from my standpoint, it was the person giving birth, my wife. And you have to have a an idea. You have to really start to to use your your language intentionally around what life is going to look like afterwards. And we did that. We were very, very conscious about that. In fact, my wife even had to have me, she had to prompt me to say it out loud that our life is going to change. And so it was hard for me. It was hard to do that. But once you can do that and acknowledge something is going to shift here, that's like the first step to being a good parent. Because I think too many people resist that. And then they end up in the parenting world and they expect that the kids are just going to be orbiting around them. And that just isn't how it goes. It's, It's not. And it shouldn't. Like this is not an accessory. This is a human being that is learning everything from you. So that's my first, I think, piece of advice. And I'm certainly by no means an expert here. I don't have 10 children who are all, you know, age two to 25 or anything, but that is definitely something that a lot of the couples I work with, I think it's an opportunity that they miss out on. Mm, I resonate with that a lot because 
we both did no parenting work before we became parents. We didn't even know parenting was like a topic to be completely (laughs) honest with you. Like, so yeah, we were definitely thrown into the deep end and yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm on a treadmill, like just trying to learn as I go. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, all the things that I'm learning um, about how I want to parent, but I definitely think it would have been helpful if I had some dividend dove into some work before Mm. uh, the birth. Like you said, everyone focuses so much on it and it's just, it's so much more than that, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's also more than just keeping them alive. Although I don't think it's too much more than that. When you have kids, it's really modeling for them the type of person you want them to be. There's not like, again, there's not a guidebook as to how to do it, right? Because every kid is completely different. So whenever somebody says that they're like the baby whisperer or whatever, I'm like, bullshit. You're like, nobody, you don't know my kids and that's fine. Like, it doesn't mean I'm better or worse than you. It's just let's call this what it is. This is a really, really hard thing to go through. It's also probably the most beautiful way to grow as an adult, having to model, you know, I'm 38. Those last 38 years, I can use all of that experience, every conversation, interaction, every mistake I've made, I can imbue those values onto this person while taking into account that they're bringing their own nature into the conversation. I mean, that's really where this becomes a dance and an art more than a science, I think. Mm, So beautiful. So true. All right, let's, let's shift gears into the birth world (laughs) today. (laughs) I wanted to take a deep dive into the topic of high risk situations in birth and pregnancy, because the cesarean rate in Australia is at 37%, which is a real concern. And you know, you know that women have been conditioned to be fearful of birth through media and other sources. And we really have to work through all those fears. I know I had to, that have been literally <laughs> instilled in us and take back our God-given gift of birthing, because that's literally what we're made to do. And yeah, just to get back to that, back to trusting our body. So I really wanted to lift the veil on the high risk topic in birth and pregnancy. So in saying all of that, what is the number one reason you saw women uh, going in for an emergency C-section that could have been prevented? I would say in general, when we start to muck with the natural process of physiologic childbirth, that's where we actually find ourselves in the most troubling waters. So, you know, the classic scenario is you're told by your midwife or doctor in the United States, midwives and doctors both work in the hospital. The midwives in the hospital were generally certified nurse midwives. And no disrespect to them, but when you're there working in the hospital system, they're kind of like an OBGYN without as many skills. And that's not a disrespectful thing. That is exactly what their role is. They're generally doing the things that the OBGYNs don't want to do. And unfortunately, the OBGYNs don't really like being on maternity. They want to get their hands busy. They want to do stuff. They want to fix things. And there's really nothing to be fixed in pregnancy. It's not a disease. And birth is not a medical procedure. So in our efforts to try to control something that actually is is best left uncontrolled or or unimpeded or you know without intervention, we tend to cause issues. And then we have the skills to save the person from the the stuff, the peril that we put them into. So you know, the, the classic scenario is a midwife or doctor. recommends that we induce your labor. And that would include us softening up the cervix, getting some uterine contractions going, sometimes opening your waters artificially, 
um, which in the medical system we call breaking the water, which already has like this kind of like, I'm going to get in there and change things. And um, there's all these things that we can do that will, that will get the labor going. But like, if you're not in labor, you're not in labor. So now we've already started you on a path that perhaps your raft wasn't inflated sufficiently to, to ride. And you're going to be hitting all these, these rapids and boulders and, Hey, we're here to save you whenever that happens. Um, you know, but the, the, the reality of inducing labor is that we don't even know how far along you are. Your due date, your due date is two weeks off in either direction because it's based on a 28 day cycle and not too many women have a consistent 28 day cycle, let alone, did you get pregnant necessarily on, on a 28 day cycle? So, you know, we give this rough estimate, Hey, you're 42 weeks. Let's induce you because now the baby's in danger. Suddenly at 42 weeks or 41 weeks is really the, what we generally start to refer to as like, Hey, it's time to start thinking about induction. Suddenly you've become like a pumpkin overnight and, and it's doomsday around the corner unless we get this baby out. So we use this language that's somewhat coercive. Women are not to blame for going along with these recommendations. And yes, there is an increased risk of stillbirth after 41 weeks, but that risk is still extremely low. So they might say it's a, it's a, it's a you know, double risk or two times risk um, uh, of, of stillbirth. But if it's one out of a one of one out of let's say 2000, now it's one out of a thousand, that's double the risk, but we're still looking at a less than 1% chance. And that is exactly what I tell my, my clients. So you've now started a process where, you know, whereby we're going to force your body to start this labor thing when we don't even understand why, why labor happens in the first place, first off, but we're going to do it artificially because we know we can get that baby out. And now you've got your induction thing going. We have to monitor you because you're on these medicines that can cause your uterus to get a little out of control. And, um, and you're kind of like now in our, in our you know, ballpark and we're going to monitor things. And if your cervix isn't changing enough, we're going to push it harder and push it harder and push it harder. Ultimately, maybe you do dilate so much and then we open those waters up and we get things going even more. And now we're doing all these exams and now you've developed a urine, an intrauterine infection and now you need extra medicine, you know, a synthetic oxytocin to force the muscles to contract because when, when muscle becomes infected, it doesn't contract very efficiently. So we've got to push that uterus harder, you know, later down the road, whether you have a vaginal birth or you end up with a C-section because you, for whatever reason, aren't dilating at a reasonable rate per hour because your body wasn't ready to do this, you end up in an operating room or whatever, and now your uterus is so tired and now you're bleeding extra. So now we're talking about giving you other medicines to stop the bleeding, or maybe even doing something like a uterine artery embolization, which carries this risk of infertility later. And, um, or we're, uh, going in and scraping stuff out of there. We're putting balloons inside of your uterus. I mean, we're talking about blood transfusions and this whole time you're so fatigued and tired because those three days of that induction were so exhausting. They weren't feeding you. You weren't moving. I mean, it's just this miserable process. And so at the very end of the day, healthy mom, healthy baby looks very different if you consider the whole story as to what came up to that. So when we talk about this high C-section rate and some of these perilous things, I think we're actually usually responsible for those things. There are exceptions, of course, if you're listening. But the vast majority of these emergencies, the baby's heart rate drops and we don't 
have any way to get it up and we have to rush you to the operating room. It's because of something we've done to disrupt the natural physiology of labor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, just listening to all that made me feel stressed. I was like, wow, like how have we turned such a natural thing into that? It just blows my mind. Uh, what's your um, opinion on, because I, I hear it a lot over here in Australia and it's a reason for induction is preeclampsia. Do you think that is preventable? I feel like it's such a gray area. I think it's definitely preventable. I mean, we're talking about an end organ we're talking about end organ damage due to high blood pressures. Why does the body's blood vessels, why do they get so constricted? Well, if the heart's not pumping hard enough or fast enough, your body, you know, in its infinite wisdom, makes the pipes more narrow in order to ensure that blood and the oxygen and everything carried by blood is going to get to your, to your important organs. There's something that happens in preeclampsia that causes, we used to call it toxemia, because there's like a toxic something. It's almost like you're in septic shock because your organs are starting to fail and you're otherwise a super healthy person. The only thing that has changed is now you're pregnant. So what the heck's going on with this? We do know that those symptoms and this these processes that the specifically the liver and the kidney will start to diminish and, and, and go back to normal if we get the placenta and the baby out of there. Um, and as you return to a, a state of, of homeostasis, your body sort of is able to regulate itself, but not until we get that placenta out. Is it preventable? I don't think we've looked hard enough because people will say it's not evidence-based. If you are eating well, moving well, drinking well, sleeping well, you've got a great mindset, you've got your stress, you know, the stress levels under control, etc. You're taking deep breaths during the day. You're not having all the, you don't have all these toxic, toxicants, these chemicals in your shampoo and your cleaning agents and all that. Like if you are doing your best to clean up your environment, there is a very, very low risk of you developing any of these things, but we don't have the evidence to back that up. But does that mean it's not true? Or does it mean that you can do quite a bit of good and perhaps mitigate the effects of, of hypertensive disease in pregnancy? Absolutely. Like there's no doubt, nobody can can effectively argue that eating well, moving well, et cetera, is going to make you and your baby do better in the pregnancy and childbirth and even postpartum periods. The fact that we're seeing such a rise in these, so we're seeing a rise in these conditions, but we're actually seeing less mortality from hypertensive diseases. And that's a good thing. The issue is that we have yet to really look upstream and figure out why on earth are so many people getting sick in pregnancy. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not inherently due to get pregnant or to, to, to develop some of, some of this, this, these complications in pregnancy. So why are so many people having that happen? That's really where we need to put our minds. Um, what I will say is that eating well and moving frequently in pregnancy, you're going to have a lower risk of any of these things happening, including gestational diabetes and a lot of these other things that lead to the induction you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it is also one of those things that can be catastrophic. You know, if you end up developing HELP syndrome, which is really on the other, on the far end of the spectrum, you can die from that. Um, some of these patients with severe preeclampsia develop cardiomyopathy and like full-blown heart failure after their birth. We can treat that. Yes, it's good that we treat that. And we need to simultaneously be looking upstream. And I don't think a lot of the medical community is incentivized to do that. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? 
Yeah. There's women giving birth every second of every day. Um, Seems like a pretty important thing for us to put our yeah. money through. You know? <laughs> pretty important if you ask me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what are the top three or more or less um, situations that are an absolute true high risk where a cesarean is necessary? The only one I can really think of is, well, there's, there's a couple. Yeah. There, there are, there are a handful where an emergency C-section might be helpful. If the baby shows signs of distress and we can't seem to fix it, you know, we can't give you the right types of fluids, the right medicines or whatever to get your baby's acid base status rebalanced. That's really what the fetal heart rate tracings that we've, by the way, never validated in any stretch of the imagination, but it's the best we've got apart from going in and actually taking blood from the baby's cord or the scalp and running a pH on it. Yeah. We don't do that anymore because that sounds insane. And it is insane. But these, this tracing thing has actually led to more C-sections than any other intervention we've, we've ever introduced. But if you're just looking at that and you're like, and the baby's heart rate's down and the baby's heart rate's not coming back up and we can't figure out otherwise what to do, we have to do a C-section because we don't know what else to do because we haven't looked for it. We haven't asked about this. <clears throat> and even if we have asked, it's we've come up empty-handed like for the past hundred years. I mean, it's we just don't know. So if the baby's in distress, to the best of our understanding based on this unvalidated software, a C-section is probably going to be a good idea. There's usually some underlying thing that's causing that, like a placental abruption. The last shift I ever did in a hospital, the last C-section I ever did, a lady came in and she had just blood gushing out of her vagina. We put her on the monitor. Of course, baby's heart rate is down. I called it. We rushed to the operating room. Her doc's not going to make it in time. I was like the hospitalist covering the unit. So, you know, I, I even brag about it. It was like 37 seconds from the time that my scalpel touched her skin to the, to the time we heard a crying baby. So I was very, very proud of that, but it was also like, I am done. I don't want to do this anymore. This is scary for me. It's scary for her. It's scary for the mom who's desperately waiting in the waiting room, hoping to hear good news. I just didn't want to be a part of it. This episode is brought to you by MitoLife. I have been using MitoLife for well over a year now, and their supplements have been a game changer in my life, especially in my first year of motherhood. If you've listened to my episode about how I keep my toddler's immune system strong, you would have heard me mention their Shilajit product. Shilajit is a complete trace mineral containing more than 85 carbon bonded organic minerals that are easily absorbed by the body. It's also a super rich source of fulvic acid, a compound which increases delivery of the minerals into the cell. It's a whole food supplement that brings mineral balance to the whole body in a natural way. And of course, I also take it myself. Uh, if I was stuck on an island and I was only allowed two supplements, it would be shilajit and magnesium for sure. I honestly believe that Shilajit is one of the supplements that has kept me going through these last few years of sleep deprivation. They have a ton of other amazing products as well that I use, like their vitamin E and their beef liver. I really feel like the vitamin E helps me with my skin. It's really good for a ton of other reasons, but visibly I can see my skin improving. And the beef liver, I think everyone knows how amazing beef liver is. It's the most nutrient dense thing in the world. And having it in a tablet form is just 
awesome because then you don't have to taste the gross liver. <laughs> Mito Life have given me an amazing discount for my listeners. Just use the code TIREDMUM15 at the checkout and you will get 15% off. So I will chuck the link in the show notes for you or you can just head to mitolife.co. That's M-I-T-O-L-I-F-E.co. What caused her placental abruption, which by the way, is when the placenta separates from the uterus. It could be a tiny one or it could be a major one, but that's blood that is otherwise not getting to the baby. So all of that blood, instead of going into the placenta, into the baby, coming out of the baby, going back into the placenta, into mom's circulation, there's this, the dam has broken and there's blood just spilling out. So in that situation, it was absolutely necessary to do a C-section. Is it necessary in every abruption? Absolutely not. In fact, an abruption is like a natural induction because the blood irritates the uterus and the baby gets comes spitting out. But in that case, she wasn't even dilated. Like I did a very brief exam. Like we're not even close to delivering. If the baby's head was right there, we might just say, let's go push, maybe even vacuum to get the baby out. But that wasn't the situation. So that's the second one. The third one would be if there's a history of a C-section and the dreaded uterine rupture happens, that's an an absolute, you need to have a C-section because that rupture oftentimes is bleeding and the, the mother can exsanguinate, meaning just hemorrhage inside of her belly yeah. and she and the baby can die. But that happens very rarely. So all of these things are very, very rare events. They do not explain a 37% C-section in Australia. The last one I would say is probably, um, I will probably just say anything anytime a C-section is required because the risk of not doing it is going to compromise the mother altogether. So if there's something that happens where the mom is going to die as a result of not doing the surgery, that is probably if the, the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. But again, that is a very, very small number of, of cases. Um, we forget in, in birth work that really our, the person we're here to care for is actually the mom. It's actually not the baby. The baby is important, but mom needs to come first. And otherwise we're stuck in like this Game of Thrones kind of decision. Do we save the baby to, to compromise the mother, you know? And um, I, that's a challenging position for anybody to be in, whether you're the surgeon, the mom, the partner, whoever. And, uh, but sometimes that's actually necessary. So um, th those, are a th those are a couple examples. If I was to think more, I mean, we could come up with a lot of reasons to do a C-section, but I'd say that those are probably the most important. And I will also add again about the fetal heart rate tracing that we've used this tracing now to justify doing virtually all of our C-sections apart from these arrest disorders, which we haven't really gotten into. But arrest disorders are one of those areas where very, very rarely is that a good reason to do a C-section. Um, it's possible that we didn't give it enough time, that we intervened too much. I mean, all of these sorts of things. When I uh, I just did an interview a couple, it was a couple of weeks ago on my podcast with a woman named um, Christine Laria, who's a certified professional midwife in the States. And when she, her, her kids kind of flew the coop, she decided I'm going to go abroad and put my midwifery skills to test, to task. I ended up working for Doctors Without Borders in a, in a couple of very resource poor settings. And she tells some of these stories on my show. Um, where like, if we want to do a C-section, we have to call in a surgeon. Like there is no surgeon in a South Sudan refugee camp. There is one, but he might be busy or she might be busy. We don't know. <laughs> so as midwives, she's the director of midwifery. They have to figure out some way to get this baby out vaginally. 
and 99% of the time they're doing it. So I think she told me her C-section rate was like 5%, you know, like they'd have to call in five out of a hundred, which is pretty darn good considering the States in Australia and most Western countries now are looking at a 30% plus um, average C-section rate. Yeah, I actually listened to that uh, episode and I encourage everyone to go listen to it because it's really eye-opening and it really makes you think like there are only a few situations where uh, surgery is really needed, even in crazy, you know, situations where you're basically giving birth in a tent outside with heaps of other people around. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, uh, but by the way, the number of that episode on my show was 83. Awesome. She's a marvelous woman. Um, But I think what's really important about these conversations and including my conversation with Christine is that it's actually not so much that we're having a hard time managing these bad complications that you've brought up. It's actually that we've we've become de-skilled as birth workers. We're not being trained to do breach maneuvers, which are not that complicated. It's literally just something that we could have been teaching residents for four hard years, 100-hour weeks for four years, so that they were prepared if a woman comes in and a baby's butt is hanging out of the vagina. Like, just let the baby come out. Like, it's there. It's right there. Don't shove the baby in and try to do a C-section. That is ludicrous um teaching people just how to do that we've we've stopped teaching forceps which i actually think is great but there's some physicians who used to train with forceps and they could get any baby out with forceps i mean like they were so skilled at rotating the baby just you know and 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 flexing the neck a little bit and and pulling off some really great things um but we've we've become uns we've become de-skilled um in not only just being patient with the process, but becoming a little bit over-reliance on tools like fetal heart rate monitoring and these protocolized ways, these labor curves, for example, um, that lead to the arrest disorders. And one example I'll give is when a baby is looking face up towards the ceiling, the back of the head, the occiput is posterior. So that's an OP position. An OP baby does not come out very easily. It's a lot longer of pushing. So if that baby's OP and the baby's not coming down further into the pelvis during that, that you know, late in the first stage or even into the second stage um, during pushing, perhaps even prior to pushing, if a physician was trained on a manual rotation, meaning I get my hand around the baby's head and I'll, I'll sometimes use an ultrasound and just rotate the baby a little bit. It's like the body follows where the head goes. That's called a manual rotation and it's not easy. It's not that hard. But when I was in residency, I used to like have to sneak it because some of my attendings were like, oh no, that can be dangerous. Like why? <laughs> C-section is also dangerous. So what if we just try this and we can do a C-section anyways, if it doesn't work. But they were like, well, the evidence shows that it can cause, you know, the baby's heart rate to drop and everything. And then we're in trouble. And it's like, we're in trouble anyways. This lady's going to get a C-section unless we try something. So, you know, they're on their back for 48 hours. They haven't had the, the movement of the hips on a, on a Swiss ball or whatever. They've been laying there helplessly trying to have this baby. And we've continued to intervene. The baby's now in this weirdo position. Could we at least offer her the opportunity to do this vaginal birth if we just did some basic maneuvers, even inside the vagina? Heck, she already has an epidural. So she's not going to feel that. 
And of course, everything we do needs to be consented. But I bet if you offered her that opportunity and you and you practice these maneuvers, I bet we could actually save a lot of people, especially in that first, you know, that primary birth, that that first birth, um, save them a trip to the operating room by just trying something like just do anything. You've yeah. done all this stuff up until now, and now you're going to put the kibosh like, no, it's unsafe. Like everything you've done up until now is unsafe, unsafe. if you want to use that log logic. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the whole the whole thing, Alice, is just, it, it's like buffoonery at its worst. I mean, it, it's a lot of very smart people that are not willing to step back and say, gosh, it sucks that I've done 30% of my births this year by C-section and that they don't want to fix that. That's what I find so frustrating. Yeah, that is frustrating. That that yeah, you just put it perfectly. <laughs> uh, they don't they don't want to improve that that rate, but hopefully having conversations like this puts the power back into the mum's hands and helps educate them that they don't have to go down that road. Yeah. Um, and to put yeah. trust back into themselves um cuz yeah, it's, it really is all about trusting our bodies i mean i went through that whole process myself i was going to have a hospital birth ended up having a home birth um and that was a whole lot of education in a short period of time <laughs> but i'm super grateful for that um that's one of the reasons why i'm so passionate about sharing the truth about um these things and so in closing my last question for you is um if you could just choose one book uh that every birthing mother should read, what would it be? Uh, that's a good question because I had, uh, I had, you know, when we were pregnant with our first, I've got a lot of people in this, in this space, doulas, birth educators, authors of all types, doctors, midwives. And I had like 10 books sent to me. And I think people were, you know, they were, I, you know, they were trying to show some gratitude for how I'd helped them in the past and I also think they were they would be tickled if it was like this is the book that really helped us because of how public and vocal I am. And uh, I brought them to my wife, and she had this pile of like the best books. I mean, all the ones you're thinking about. And uh, she was I remember her sitting there in her little pregnant belly. She was like in the third trimester, and she was like, mm, "Nope, turn this to this one first couple pages. Nope." And I was like. My gut was like, come on, babe, you got to read, you got to educate yourself. <laughs> and, uh, but I, 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 you know, she related to me. She was like, no, they all start with like all the bad stuff. I don't want to think about the bad stuff. And I think that's actually really, that's really insightful is it's not magical thinking to just want to start to uh, um, embody a person who's going to have an, an empowered birth. Like that is a part of the work these books don't necessarily empower you. They, they sort of, I don't want to say they scare you, but they overemphasize the stuff that can go bad and they underemphasize the beautiful births, you know, and a, a mentor of mine, Michel Odant, who's a very old gentleman. He's written like 20 books. He's written quite a bit about undisturbed physiologic birth, even though he wasn't an OBGYN. He was actually a general surgeon in a hospital in Paris. And he was the only surgeon available to the midwifery the midwife run maternity unit in Paris. So he like kind of was able to see it from a third person standpoint, like what a weird thing. Like this isn't a gallbladder that's infected that we're removing. We're doing a birth. And so he was just super thoughtful about it. And he's like 92 now. He's this really charming guy. And um, I did an interview with him. It's, it's coming up in a, a couple months, but 
Um, it's my hundredth episode because it's with like the Michel Odont. But he said to me, he was like, you know, what I've learned over time is it's it's not a problem with the hospital system. It's not a problem with the people giving birth. It's not a problem with any of these things. It's that in our efforts to in our efforts to quote fix the problem that is childbirth, we've focused so much on the the things that have gone wrong. And, and put all of our resources and research and talents behind avoiding that bad thing happening to that one person, as opposed to spending all of our time and energy and resources on asking the question, why did it go so well for these women? Mm. So we, instead of focusing on avoiding the bad, why don't we focus on pursuing the good? And I think that that is such a beautiful way to to start to shift the needle a little bit because the system is working as the system does. Nobody knows how to stop that. It's not a matter of stopping it though. It's just a matter of one by one for us to, instead of harping on uh, avoidance of the bad things, why don't we ask ourselves, what do we want? And try to embody that in, in, in showing up in the world. So to answer your question, the one book that we really loved. And we had a lot of naked bath time tub, bathtub time where her little bellies, you know, poking out above the bubbles and we're just hanging out preparing for this baby. And we read this book. It was called A is for Advice, The Reassuring Kind. And the author's name is Alana Stanger Ross. And it's about a hundred pages. It's super short. And each chapter is really about like remembering that your body knows how to do this, remembering that you and your partner are going to be, it, it's possible that you guys go grow closer through this experience. Back to your question about parenting, it's possible that your birth actually can be an enjoyable experience and not traumatic. Although I would argue that there are components of birth that will be traumatic, even if you have a natural undisturbed physiologic birth, if it's not honored as the process that it is. Mm. In other words, it's super stressful. Yes, but stress doesn't have to break us down. Stress can build us up if we integrate it appropriately. So that little book was so helpful for us because it really just helped us connect and, um, and sort of daydream about what we were hoping that day would look like, as opposed to going in with our notarized birth plan with fists up and that in and of itself disturbs physiologic birth. You have to yeah. go in appreciating this and surrendering to this. And I think that that little book was the best thing for us at the time. Mm, so, so powerful. Absolutely love it. I love that. Um, now, Nathan, thank you so much again for joining me and being here and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom I would really just love for you to share where everyone can find you in your work because you definitely take a different approach and I love what you have to offer. I think it would be so helpful for everyone to know as much as they can about you. I will answer that, but I have a question for you. Sure. Why is it that so many people living in Australia or people who are from Australia, why is it that so many of them think the way that you do that they that they um rejoice in this type of conversation because there's so many people from australia who i've connected with through my podcast through my practice etc what is it about australia like do you have any idea <laughs> um like the rebel in the australia the aussie rebel or something i don't know <laughs> I love it. 
I, I think once, I think what it is is that once you, your eyes are opened and you've seen behind the curtain as an Australian, you really want that for your fellow friends. You really want that for yeah. everybody else. Um, I don't know where that comes from in our culture, but, it, you know, there are a lot of us that, um, you know, it's that, it's that true blue watching out for your mates kind of thing. <laughs> like you just, you want, once you experience something wonderful, you want your mates to as well. Um, and I think that's where it comes from. And I don't know where the fight comes from. I do know there's a lot of passionate midwives out there who like they've got the doulas, they've got the fists up, you know, that they're, they're trying to fight this system. And I don't, like you said, I don't think it's about, that I feel like that's impossible. That's a whole other dimension in the world that just can be over there and that's make a different world over here. I don't think it's about trying to smash that down because I just I don't think it's possible. And I I just yeah. I think we just need to build a new world over here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean that's that's exactly what I say is like I'm I'm not up to going to the hospitals and pounding on the doors with pitchforks and whatnot. We want better. Like it's not, that's not how the world works. It doesn't, it hasn't ever worked like that. And this is far more complicated than just a couple rich people who are running the hospital systems. Although <laughs> there's probably some degree of truth there, but it's, you know, you know, get my point there's, it's not just the powerful C-suites or whatever. There's, this is an entire culture in and of itself. Yeah. So let's just build a life raft. Let's just build something better and we'll demonstrate that we can do it. And if nothing else, then at least I didn't have to deal with all that nonsense and I, <laughs> I can, I can take care of people the way that I want. So, yeah. so thank you for that, for, for uh, answering that for me. <laughs> Hope it made sense. <laughs> um, it's really interesting. I've had met a lot of you know, Aussies who have the same, they like kind of get me in some weird way. And it's like, I don't know anything about Australia, but you guys <laughs> seem to to like like we like are speaking the same language somehow um <laughs> vowels a little differently <laughs> um so if people want to find me my podcast is called the holistic OBGYN podcast and um it's available everywhere it's uh not the the typical birth podcast i can definitely say that it's it's quite uh it's it's a lot more deep it's kind of deep into the culture that that uh, has given rise to the, the issues we see within birth. Um, and it gets into a lot of the topics you do on your show. So I hope people will go check that out. And then I have a, uh, my website, my practice, people from around the world will work with me and uh, I have the luxury of doing all of that remotely. So that's at belovedholistics.com. Um, I also have a collaborator program open to midwives. If you're a midwife anywhere, you can utilize me as a, a consultant to help you with clinical decision-making. Um, and I'm still accepting people to that. Although I think people in the U S are, are largely gravitating towards that because some of the States actually require them to have that. But if you're somebody out there who just wants somebody like me on their care team, you can join. Anybody can join. It's, a, it's been a lot so of fun. Amazing. Yeah. 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 When, when I left the conventional model, I decided instead of being our home birth doc, which I do now, I actually do attend births, but, um, they're far and few between. And because I didn't want to be on call at the time and I didn't want to be competing with midwives. If I really believe in the midwifery model of care, the traditional midwifery model of care, then how can I uphold, can raise that up a little bit? Um, how can I just support that? You know, and a lot of midwives 
are highly dependent on colleagues and they don't have a lot of people there. It's very lonely to be a midwife in many places in the world. So, um, so I provide that, that sort of backup support for people. And it's been a really, really fun. It's been really mm. rewarding for me. Oh, amazing. I will link all the amazing links to people so that people can find you in the show notes. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me. What an amazing conversation. And I do encourage everyone to go over and check out your podcast because you are having epic conversations, conversations that need to be had. And, you know, I just, I know I've said it a million times already, but thank you. I love what you're doing. And I really appreciate your time and coming onto this show. Um, yeah, I think what you're doing is epic. So thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Alice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, I am so grateful for Nathan coming on the show and having this discussion with me. I really wanted to create this episode for the mama that is maybe trying to process a birth trauma and trying to figure out what happened to her and how it happened to her, or even that mama that's pregnant right now and really wants to figure out what is a true high risk and what is a true emergency and how do these emergencies come to be? Um, I really think it's important to take radical responsibility for ourselves, our birth, our birth education. And I think it's important to get back to our roots. You know, we are nature. Um, we're a part of nature. We're not separate. We're not, you know, better than any other mammal. We are born to birth. Uh, and I think we need to remember that. We need to remember that we're literally made to birth and we do it amazingly and we can have an amazing experience and I think it all comes back to remembering what our bodies can do trusting what our bodies can do and believing in what our bodies can do and finding the right people to help us go through that transition I really encourage everyone to go and follow Nathan on Instagram his profile and the information that he gives out is absolutely invaluable he is a wealth of knowledge he is not only talking about birth he is talking about so many other things and he does it in such an authentic and down-to-earth way it's so valuable to have someone in the birth world who is educated knows what they're talking about and does it in this loving way it is truly amazing Thank you so much for joining me and listening today. If you would like to leave a review, please do. It's really quick and really easy and I would be so grateful for that review. And if you want to follow the Thai Mummy journey, please come over and follow us on the Thai Mummy podcast on Instagram. If you want to message me or reach out, just send a DM and or you can email me at alice at the Thai Mummy podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. I cannot wait to bring you more epic episodes with amazing humans until next time this tired mummy is signing out imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.